The words that we just sang are very important. All, all, all of our worship is important, but, but it struck me. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Clothe us with power from on high. Spirit of God, would you fall in this place? You know that that's not just a prayer or a longing within the context of a worship service like this. It's also a historical reality that took place 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem when at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came for the very first time upon all believers, all the people of God. But it's been the privilege of myself and others who've walked alongside international students, not only here but around the world, to see that God is now doing something new in, our season, in, this, in this season in, in, our, in our nation. He is bringing a modern-day Pentecost. At the first Pentecost, pilgrims from all over the Roman world, tens of thousands of them, converged on the world-class city of Jerusalem as part of a pilgrimage. Today, God is bringing people out of the so-called 1040 window. Many of you know that more than two-thirds of the world's population live within latitude 10 degrees north and 40 degrees south. And he's bringing them into our doorstep, into our backyard. Take the 49th Avenue bus. Yeah, I guess it's this way. Half an hour, and you are in a different world. Many of you know that. Some of you are students. Some of you work at UBC. It's my privilege to, this morning <clears throat> to have a number of the people that God has brought from the great nation of China. It just happens they're all from China this morning uh, here. So I'd like to ask those of you who come with me if you'd, uh, you'd stand. Just, uh, you don't have to introduce yourself. Um, just, yeah, because I want you guys to, to get to know these people after the service. Um, we're going to have a table downstairs. You can turn around and say hi. <laughs> at least uh, so they can see your face. Um, yeah. Thank you. So after the service, please go downstairs. We have a table, materials. But most of all, I want you to meet these students. Uh, because God is doing something new in our time. I believe heaven is a place where we are finally going to have the chance and the time to tell the stories. I love the passage in Revelation where those who were faithful to death, they loved not their lives to death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so I believe in heaven we are finally going to be able to hear the testimonies of people through the ages around the world of how God has worked in their lives and how the blood of Jesus has, in fact, rescued them, redeemed them. So many stories. There's a story for every face in this room. In fact, there's way more stories, for, uh, more than one for each face. I, this morning, of course, I'm going to focus on a familiar story. In fact, because it's overly familiar to most of us, we have to pretend that we've never heard it before. But uh, in a few moments, I've asked Amy, one of the people here this morning, if she will share something of her story as well. This is a story, as I say, that's, that's overly familiar. Um, I, and I'm actually not at all familiar with this new device, so if I'm handling it kind of like a... Okay, hopefully this is going to work. Okay, so we're, we're up there. Jesus had great patience with the disciples. Over and over again, he had to tell them what was going on. They lived with him 24-7 for three years, and they still didn't get it. <clears throat> but in this particular passage, a passage that we're very familiar with, Jesus, towards the end of it, says three words to them. Open your eyes. And I believe today, no matter where we are, you don't have to work with international students. You don't have to be on campus. But you do need to hear the words of Jesus over the centuries, 2,000 years later, saying, wherever you are, whoever you are, open your eyes. So let's take a look. Once again, pretending that we have never seen this passage before. And it's not doing what I'm asking it to. Is there a power switch to this? Alvin, help. 
Oh, all of a sudden. Okay, we got it. I'm, I'm live. Okay, this is good. Okay, we're going to pick up the story of verse 27. We all know his uh, discussion, his conversation with the woman at the well. This is in Samaria. Remember the background. Jews hate Samarians. There's racial disharmony. There's all kinds of reasons why this conversation between Jesus and the woman should not be happening. Verse 27, we pick up the story. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. They looked, but they didn't see. I remember growing up, my mother's words, uh, I'd be looking for something, usually socks in the drawer, and I couldn't find them, and so I'd say, Mom, where's the socks? And she'd say, John, open your eyes. If they're any closer to you, they'd bite you. They're right there. Open your eyes. And I don't know if this is just a guy thing, but we often look, but we don't see. And history is full of uh, situations where people looked, but they didn't really see. I think all of us are guilty of that at one time or another. This is a chapter in which we see some people who didn't see. Now, if you take a look at the book of Acts, sorry, the book of this particular chapter in John, it's like a drama with three acts. John chapter 4, the first act focuses on Jesus. The second act spotlights the woman at the well. And the third act highlights the disciples. And honestly, once again, they don't come off in a very good light, do they? It highlights their missed opportunities. The fact that their eyes were not open. Even though they lived with him all this time, they did not get it. Back to verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned. And you've got to picture the, the scene here. All of, the, all of the, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, <clears throat> they were surprised, that's putting it mildly, to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered to be spiritual half-breeds. And so there was racial tensions. No self-respecting Jew would walk through Samaria. And so Jesus' disciples might have wondered why he was doing that. You would never find uh, in that culture a man talking with a woman who was not his wife in a private conversation. It just wouldn't happen. Same as in certain countries today, in certain cultures, that would never happen. And so the disciples were dumbfounded. Here was, here was a Jew speaking with a Samaritan. Here was a man talking with a woman. Here was a rabbi speaking with a woman. Rabbis weren't allowed to teach women. It wasn't done. And so the disciples, they were completely shocked. Jesus, on the other hand, was aware of one thing. This woman has a great need. Jesus' eyes were open to the fact that this woman had a need that was so great that it brought her out into the heat of the day to draw water. She wasn't with the other women. She had been ostracized. Those of you familiar with the story know that she had had five husbands. The man she was living with now was not her husband. She was relationally broken. She had been ostracized. The women would taunt her when she came out in the cool of the morning when all the other women would draw water. So she, to escape the taunts, had come out in the middle of the day. 
to draw water. But the disciples, they didn't care about that. They didn't see that. All the disciples saw were, what is going on here? This is a catastrophe. What is Jesus doing? What are you thinking, Jesus? Now, they didn't say anything, but John knew what was in their hearts. Jesus had one question burning in his mind. What does she need? And if we look back on the conversation, we know that her real need was to have living water. And and that living water, of course, represented a relationship with God through the person of Jesus the Messiah. But Jesus also took great pains to recognize what her felt need was. She didn't want to have to drag the water, and so he talked about water that would last forever. And so she was engaged. She was hooked. So often when I'm involved with people who are different than me, and Jesus knew she was very different. Jesus was well aware of the taboos he was breaking. He knew exactly the gulf he was crossing when he spoke with this woman. So often when I'm involved with... Oops, I think I lost. Okay. Is that going to work? There we go. So often what I see when I have a conversation or enter into a dialogue with another person who's different from me is the, the barrier. They're barriers. And I'm, I'm not even talking about racially. I'm talking about a person who has different political stripe than I do, a different generation, a different style of worship music, for goodness sakes. You know how hard it is to cross those divides sometimes? Jesus was well aware of the taboos he was breaking, of the, of the chasm he was, that was in front of him. But he saw that chasm as an opportunity to build a bridge. And that's what he did with this woman. He reached into her heart and addressed, first of all, her felt need. It doesn't take a theologian or a rocket scientist to figure out what the real need of our neighbors is, does it? They need Jesus. They need a vital relationship with the one who made and loved them. The question is, what is their felt need? Jesus knew the felt need of this woman, just as Jesus knew the felt need of the person who was so utterly different than this woman, Nicodemus, whom he encountered in the chapter before. Jesus moved from Nicodemus' felt need to figure out who in the world is this itinerant carpenter come rabbi from from Palestine, Nazareth, for goodness sakes, to his real need, which was to be born again. So Jesus reaches into the felt need of this person, of this woman. How do we find the felt need of the person? I I will never forget when a year and a half ago, the BC area director for the group that I work with, I work for a, a group called International Student Ministries Canada, And so our ISMC uh, BC director, Bert, said, I've been working at SFU and God has been doing amazing things there with students coming to Christ and being baptized, particularly students from China. And he said, John, I want you to pray about starting up a work at UBC. And uh, I thought I knew UBC. um, Whoops. Oh, that slide wasn't in there. That's the one that was missing. Okay. (laughs) There was a slide of UBC that said um, 8,500 international students more than any other campus in North America. So when I went onto a campus, I thought I knew because I graduated from there. My father had graduated from there. Our son graduated from there this, this spring. I was blown away because the ground on which I walked, which I hadn't been to probably for about 40 years, which was the old B lot. I don't know if anyone's heard of the old B lots at UBC. Okay, the gravel lots that stretched out for hundreds of acres where we parked our rusty old cars and walked in 10 kilometers, it seemed, to our classes. That was gone. And in its place were hundreds of millions of dollars worth of upscale condos and literally billions of dollars worth of um, public-private partnerships, massive research facilities. And honestly, when I walked on that cold, windswept February day across uh, what was B-Lot, but it used to be B-Lot, I was totally terrified. I was intimidated. Who was I 
to think I could make any difference in the lives of these 8,500 international students. Who was ISMC? Who was Focus Club? Focus Club is what we do on campus. We, at SFU, we had a Focus Club, Friends of Overseas College University Students. I should have a glossary up there. Our Focus Clubs um, reach students. And so who was I to think that our Focus Club could meet the needs of these highly intelligent, highly motivated, best of the best of their nations? And so I felt like the Canaanite spies in, uh, the spies going into Canaan. Remember when they said, we felt like grasshoppers amongst giants? among giants. At that moment, God said to me, I am here. You think I don't love these students? You think I don't know these students? You think I'm not working already amongst them? Do you think I don't know their needs? And so we began to work at, at UBC. At that point, there was no official club that was working with international students that was focusing on international students. And the first thing we, we were aware of was, how do we meet their needs? Now, again, we knew their need was for Jesus, but what was their felt need? And so at SFU, we had a number of churches that were working with us, cooking for us, just an amazing gift for students. Uh, because we cannot write students' exams for them. We can't get them visas or jobs. But we can give them the one thing that they miss the most. And that's a, that's a sense of family. That's a feeling of belonging. And so, um, yeah, how, how does that happen? How do you get a sense of family? It's around food. That's how it happens in Asian cultures as well as most cultures in the world. And so we said, Lord, we have no churches that are cooking for us, but we know that you know how to meet that need. That is their felt need. We know that as we meet their felt need, we can form relationships with them, and then we can get to know them and hopefully show Jesus' love to them. And so we prayed, Lord, we have no idea where this food's going to come from, but that is their felt need would you provide. And in response to prayer, God provided uh, Kombi here. She cooked a couple of times with a Kenyan food. Um, when we told her, yeah, we're talking 40 students here, she says, oh, no problem. Oh, I'll do that. So um, just down the street here at Fraser and 43rd is a restaurant. Bert and I were having lunch there. Again, heaven is for the long stories. The short story is that Khalid uh, said, I would love to cook for your students. And I, you don't have to pay me. And so the coolest thing was not just that we had this amazing Pakistani food. It was biryani. It was just amazing. But the coolest thing was when the students, especially the non-Christian students, said to us, where did this food come from? And, why? and then we told them, why would, a, why would a Muslim cook for free for a Christian group? Don't you love it when people ask questions like that? Because God cares about their felt needs. He cares that they have good food. He cares that they have a place they can have fun and they, they can connect with one another. So, Jesus said to his disciples, open your eyes. It's not about breaking taboos. It's about seeing needs. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We, we sang about passion. Jesus won passion was to do the will of his Father. Everywhere Jesus went, he looked for one thing. Where is my Father working? What is he doing? Jesus' eyes were fully open to the work that was going on all around him. The disciples, once again, had no idea what was going on. They were concerned about food. They said, oh my gosh, it's half past three and Jesus hasn't eaten yet. Let's rush back and take in the Subway sandwiches we got. Jesus didn't care about food. He was doing the one thing that he was most passionate about, and that was doing the work of his father, meeting the felt needs, moving towards the real needs of this woman. You know what that's like? You're doing something, you're not aware of the time, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I guess I didn't have lunch, did I? 
It's because you're passionate about it. The disciples, once again, you have to feel sorry for them. They're talking about food and they're concerned. And of course, they care about him and that's good. But they don't really get it because their eyes are not opened. They look, but they don't see. Jesus' question is, what is going on here? I know my father's working. I can see his fingerprints. I can smell his presence. What exactly is he wanting me to do? As you follow Jesus in the kingdom of God, know this. There are no coincidences. There are no accidents. This person came across Jesus' path because his heavenly father wanted her to. And I, I don't get that. So often when I'm involved in other people, I'm, I, I'm not sure what's going on. I'd like to believe that God's working in their heart. But what happens when the person that you pray for who suddenly had become open to God suddenly seems to drift away, become hostile or apathetic? What happens when the couple you pray for, their marriage gets worse, not better? In fact, they're talking about divorce. What happens when the person you pray for doesn't get better, but dies? What happens when your life takes a turn in a direction that not only did you not anticipate, but that you're feeling like God has abandoned you? Where did I miss God? What have I done wrong? What have I failed to do right? There are times in our walk with God, and if you're a new Christian, maybe you haven't come to this time yet, but if you're not, you know. When you don't know what's going on, it's a mystery. There's confusion. And you would love to have God clear it up for you. But you've come to a place where you don't know what to do. And, and Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. The horrific suffering and isolation appalled him. And yet he said, Father, your plan is better. Your heart is bigger. I submit myself to who you are and to what you're doing and to your plan. And so sometimes... Our eyes, we want to have them open, but we still don't know what God is doing. Recently, well, actually not recently, it was about a year ago, I guess, now, um, I came up against a situation like this. Um, the, the fellow on the right, Mike Yang, who's now back in Beijing, uh, he had just come to Christ through his focus club. He was very excited about his faith, and he said, I want to share my faith. I want to share my story. And so we were going to Vancouver Chinese Mennonite Brethren Church, and uh, I said, okay, Mike, this Friday we'll be there. And he said, I need a translator, because the things that were happening in his life were so new to him, he didn't have the English vocabulary for it. And so I thought about who should translate, and so um, it seemed a pretty good idea that this uh, MBA grad from UBC, Joy Jiang, who was going to be going back to Shanghai, she was a, a recent, uh, uh, she'd recently been, become a Christian and been baptized, but she was, had good English, and she was fairly mature Christian, even at that young age. So that was the plan. Um, she, Joy was going to translate for Mike. Uh, once again, to compress the story, that never happened. At the 11th hour, uh, literally I was on the way uh, with the students to the uh, Vancouver Chinese Mennonite Brethren Church. Uh, Joy couldn't come. And so we had someone else come. And the person on the left is Grace Sui. Grace is from China also, uh, like, like Mike. Food science student, uh, not a Christian, came faithfully to our focus club had great questions. You know the ones, uh, you know, if God is good, why is there suffering? Would God throw sincere people into hell just because they're not Christians? Um, you know what that feels like when you have those conversations and you sweat it and you pray it and, and you go away saying, oh God, <laughs> please help that person to find faith. Um, so Grace 
was going that night, but she wasn't expecting to translate. Um, and so Mike was in the front seat, and he leaned over to Grace, who just came in the back seat, and said, you're translating tonight. It was not a request. Uh, it was a statement. <laughs> and so Grace, very graciously, as her name implies, um, translated that night. So it was one of those amazing moments when you're just you're terrified because you're saying, God, I had no plan. This is, this is a plan. I guess this is, is this your plan. I sure hope this is your plan because we really want Mike's word to get out. But not only was it a very powerful evening in terms of people hearing Mike's story, but it's also very significant in Grace's life as well. Because as a, one of the links in the chain uh, to Grace becoming a Christian and being baptized in May was, um, was this event. Grace is here in the front row and she's laughing right now. Or crying, I'm not sure which one. She's laughing, yeah, okay. Um, see, the thing is, how much better is God's plan than our plan? I was desperate. My plan had totally fallen apart. And all I wanted was for God's word to be spoken. God's word about the testimony of, of Mike. And so grace was God's choice. I would never have imagined that was going to happen. So open your eyes. God's plans may, not make, may make no sense, but when you are desperate, can your eye, the eyes of your heart, we prayed, we sang, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Sometimes our human eyes cannot see the plan of God. At that moment, can we open our hearts to say, God, I'm desperate. I submit myself to you. Whatever your plan is, is okay with me because I have no other options. Are our eyes open to the reality of God doing that? One of the joys of working with international students is that many of them share with one another about the stories of God and what they've been doing yeah, in, in, in our life, in their lives. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to introduce Amy by saying she has a story to share with us. Amy is, yeah, come on up, Amy. Amy works at Food. really a pleasure to come here and <clears throat> sorry I lost my voice a little bit. Um, I came here in 2005 and entered the UBC graduate school in 2006. I wasn't a Christian and I was very excited and of the new life in Vancouver and soon after that there's a girl in the lab and she asked me uh, do you want to go to a Bible study? Oh, I said, oh, Bible study, I know Christianity and I know churches. And actually my grandma, my mom's mom, is a Christian. Um, but I thought because she doesn't have much education and she was deceived by the Westerners while she was living in, the, in Toronto. But for me, I have, I'm very well educated and I'm a, actually a biologist. So church um, there is, is a tool uh, for me. Like at that, at that time, I think church is a tool for uh, the government to control people's mind. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, being polite, I still say, okay, I will go. And I went to the Bible study and they have free food and I enjoyed it. And um, people there are very, very nice. And we sing some songs and play games. I totally enjoy it. And then it comes to a Bible study. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, oh, how can people believe that? It doesn't make any sense. So I argued and fight with them. And, and then they're very, very nice. And I asked them lots of difficult questions. I asked them questions like, um, why, why God creates that, that tree that he knows is going to make trouble in the future? And why God allows Satan to exist? And everybody blame him now. 
And they, of course, most of the time, they, they couldn't answer my questions. And they said they would pray for me. I feel very sorry for them because they don't understand themselves. And they said, I will pray for you. <laughs> and, but I decided to continue go there because the people there are so nice. I feel maybe they're in a time, um, in a difficult time in their life, so they they're weak, so they they cannot uh, face the reality, and they, they they rely on some kind of God. So I have to help them. They're good people, and I get very well prepared each time to go to the Bible study. I will read the passage before and prepare all my questions. And um, interestingly, after a few months, my questions become less and less, and sometimes it can. There, there's kind of a voice in my, in my mind that telling me the answer to those questions. And my heart gradually changed. Of course, I can sense the love from those group of students and who I take as stranger at the beginning. But gradually, we become very good, very good friends. And then um, I know there's something changing in my heart, but I couldn't believe it. Um, I said, God, I'm not that kind of emotional person or those unrational uh, uh, person. I need evidence. I'm a scientist. You can't, I can't say, that, okay, I have feeling for maybe there's God, and I just believe. No, I need evidence. So I told them about it, my burden. I, I need evidence. And at that time, I was applying uh, the scholarship from UBC. It's called University Graduate Fellowship. Um, it's very competitive. Everybody applied for the scholarship, and I was the first-year master's, brand new from China, and I also applied. And the people, of course, the students in the Bible study group um, prayed for me. So I passed the first round. I was very happy. And then soon after that, I received the email, and they said, okay, sorry, you're, uh, you didn't pass the second round. And I was very upset and disappointed. And went to the Bible study, and I told them, you see, your prayer doesn't work. I didn't get the scholarship, even though I was faithfully praying for it, but I didn't get it. So give up. And then um, I, I, I was disappointed, but I continued to go to the Bible study. And they said they will continue praying for me. I thought they were, oh, come on. It's already finished. I received the email. I was turned down. There's, don't bother praying anymore. Maybe praying for my like, uh, little heart being so hurt so much, so not hurting so much. And or maybe praying that I could find a part-time job or something. And only um, a few weeks after that, I received the email and they said, congratulations, you have been won the award of a certain much dollars. I said, okay, internet fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my supervisor comes to me and he, she said, Amy, congratulations, you win, you win the university graduate fellowship. You win the scholarship. I thought you... I thought you, 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 you already failed uh, in the application. I was shocked. Uh, and then he asked me, do, do you know why? I said, well, I didn't know. But in my heart, I think I, I know God knew. I take the email and read it again and again. And my face was covered with tears. And I went to the Bible study and told them of the, sto of the story. And there's um, and many, many uh, stories like that happen in my life. I can share another one if there's, a, there's time. <laughs> no? Okay. 
very sorry about that, but if you want to listen to another story, we can talk after. But there's many, many um, that kind of miracles happen in my life. And I give my life to Christ um, at the beginning of 2000, uh, at the end of 2006. Um, and since then, um, my life has never been the same. And, and my house has never been the same. And I met friends that is lifetime friends. And I have been a witness of many of God's um, amazing work. And it's truly a blessing for me. And it all started with a simple girl, ordinary girl, just like many of you here, uh, start and have the courage to invite, to invite an unbeliever to a Bible study. And it all works out because many Christians like you and helped and prayed and willing to share the gospel with me. And I believe the heaven rejoice when a sinner turns back and is saved. Amen. Thank you. It was really, really hard for me to say no to Amy just because I know that her stories are so amazing. Um, God, is, is, God is amazing, and he's doing great things, not just on the campus, but we're privileged to see what he's doing on the campus. Yeah, so much to talk about. That's what heaven's for, isn't it? Okay, so um, final pa- portion of the passage. There was a saying around that culture, kind of like manana, no worry, no hurry, don't rush. And so Jesus uh, brought, brings this up. Don't you have a saying? Speaking to his disciples, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We need our eyes opened to the reality that people around us have needs and our hearts break for the Philippines right now. And so we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, may, may help come, and perhaps we give. And those are all appropriate uh, responses. But honestly, we feel overwhelmed with the needs of people around us. And so... When we even see a pastor talking about the needs of people, we shrink back and say, I don't have a moment to give to people's needs. But can your eyes be open to the fact that God's not going to overwhelm you with people's needs? He's going to bring the ones and the twos. He's going to bring the person across your path that has a need that he's asking you to fill. Because secondly, he wants you to open your, mind, you open your heart to the fact, open your eyes to the fact that it's God who's working in that person. And thirdly, in this passage, we see that Jesus wants us to open our eyes because his work becomes your opportunity. It's your opportunity to enter into what God's already doing. That's the exciting thing. He, it's not that we're having to do the work. We're entering into the work. There's something for us to do, of course, but we're entering into the work that he is already doing. So here in this text, what do we have? We have disciples who mercifully were speechless. They were always putting their foot in their mouth here. They don't say a thing. Jesus explicitly says, open your eyes, guys. No more waiting. Now is the time. You don't need a degree. You don't need more training. You don't need more time in prayer. Those things are good and valuable. But what you need to do is open your eyes to the opportunities that God puts right in front of you. Too often, I am involved in something and I'll be aware of what I don't have. I don't have the training. I was never going to be a pastor. I was going to be a biologist. That was my degree. And I was very happy doing that. But God had a different plan. He had, another, uh, he had another opportunity for me. And so here's my third, my third vocation. I was 
I was a biologist, I was a pastor, and now I'm working with international students. So we come to situations and we're aware of what we don't have. We're aware of what we lack. We have fear. We don't have the training. Jesus, Jesus sees those things, but he's not bothered by those things. He invites us. Sometimes I say to students, don't just study history. Be part of history, or in fact, work to make history with the one who is writing history. His story is being written in the lives of students like Amy and Grace and others that we have seen. He's writing his story, history, into your lives. Whether you see it or not. Whether you think he cares enough to do it or not. It's happening. And yeah, sometimes it's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, Julian, could I ask you to bring up that sorry, the magazine and the, the Bible there? Sometimes it happens very dramatically, unbeknownst to me, Mike, the fellow that you saw who shared the, thank you, that shared his testimony, uh, and Grace translated that night. <clears throat> unbeknownst to me, he had sent an email to his CEO, the uh, corporation that had sent him here from Beijing, saying, I want you to uh, publish the attached story uh, in the magazine that you uh, publish on a monthly basis. I want you to put it in the chapter in which your employees talk about their cultural experiences in other countries. And you may have guessed, it's his testimony. This is it, published in this January edition of Modern People, uh, a magazine that gets into the hands of several thousand people in China through, it's an employee's ma magazine. Uh, some of you can read, it says, From Earth to Heaven. The story of how Mike, he talks about his Communist Party uh, membership and how he wrestled through and why he became a Christian. Um, those of you who don't uh, <clears throat> read in Chinese, Canadian Bible Society has published uh, a New Testament, the contemporary English version, uh, it's an ISMC version. It's got pictures of international students on the back. But most importantly, it has uh, stories. It's got Mike's story in English. It's got Amy's story. You can read actually the part that she didn't get to say. <laughs> so if you want to hear the second story that I wish you could have time to read, to tell, read, uh, take, take one of these. We are giving them free, and so we give them away free to students. And if you are committed to praying for this ministry, we would love you to have a copy. We have about a dozen copies downstairs. Why am I showing you this, telling you this story? Because God is writing history. God is writing history and he's saying, I want you to take the opportunity to be part of the story that I'm writing in the lives of other people. Is it going to be in a magazine? Probably not. Mine never was. But we never know. We never know the person that we're going to influence for Christ. We never know. When we take the opportunity, what God is going to do. This is a photograph that a student, Masters in Architecture, I'll call him James, that's not his real name, uh, posted on the Chinese Twitter, Weibo, uh, several months ago. And uh, it was um, one of our uh, students, Marissa, also in a master's program at architecture at UBC. She had been praying for James and uh, sharing the gospel with him. And the five Chinese characters, which you can't even see if you read Chinese, I don't think, but they simply meet, say, he has been here. This is his dormitory room. We have no idea where this is, is where he lives. We have no idea how this cross got to be on his door. But God knows, and James knows that God knows. And James knows that God loves him. Jesus rose from the dead to save him, to deliver him from his sins. He knows that Jesus wants him to follow him. But James hasn't yet fully given his life to Christ. Once again, why do I share this story? Because there is an opportunity. Marissa took the opportunity simply to be a friend to James. Uh, if you want to know more about James and about the story, Marissa's here in the front row and she would love to tell you about James and ask you to pray for him. Opportunities are all around us. 
Ours is not to decide whether they're going to make history in, in the worldly sense, whether it's going to be published, whether it's going to be on Twitter or Weibo. Ours is simply to know, to have our eyes open to the fact that God is going to bring a person with needs across our path, that He is working in and through that, He's working in that person's life, and He invites us to seize the opportunity to be involved in His kingdom, to be part of history, His story. He is on the campus. We don't take him to the campus. When you leave this sanctuary today, when you leave this church today, you go back to your home where you may be the only Christian. You don't take Jesus there. He's already there. Tomorrow morning, you don't take Jesus to, the, to your office. You don't take Jesus to your place of study. He's already there. He's saying, open your eyes. I'm working. And I want to see you meet the needs of others. And I will meet them through you. So, sure, I'd love you to be uh, passionate about what we're passionate about, which is the incredible opportunity of reaching international students who will go back to make a difference in their home countries. And so, yeah, we'd love to speak with you afterwards. There's lots of opportunities to be involved, to pray, to come out and volunteer, to just come out and visit. We'd love to uh, have you share dinner with us. The dinners are really good. Uh, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. at UBC, Fridays at 5.30 at SFU. I'd love to give you some literature, some information, but most of all, know that the same Jesus who invited his disciples 2,000 years ago, those who thought they knew Jesus but never really did, invited them, commanded them, exhorted them to open their eyes. He does the same to us. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe of your love that is not just deeply compassionate but incredibly powerful. You loved the world so much you did something. So Lord, whether it's the person across the street, across the city, or around the world, your love through us is longing to reach them. Lord, it's not about us, but you have a place for us. You love these students enough to bring them to faith, but you love us enough that we can be midwives to see them come into your forever family. So Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, Help us to see the needs, your work, and our incredible opportunity. We ask in the strong name of Jesus.